Welcome to Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And today we have back again, James Grout. Woohoo! Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I hope you don't regret it. <laughs> Remains to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> so we... I feel like I say this every episode we've recorded the past year, but like we've got a f- super fun, lighthearted topic <laughs> to talk about, <laughs> and that's ministry and missions burnout. But before we get to that, uh, Ben, you said you had a really important question uh, you'd like all of us to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, can't we can't bypass the uh, the episode icebreaker. Um, James, welcome. It is good to see you. Actually, James and I were just hanging out together in person down in Texas, so this feels like a little bit of a reunion, a virtual reunion. But uh, I was thinking about this topic of burnout, trying to think of some creative, more lighthearted icebreaker question. And so this just came to me. This could be Holy Spirit inspired. We'll see. Um, If you guys had to pick from... What is what is the most exhausting, draining, life sucking of these three options? And if there's a story of personal experience that is associated with any of them, feel free to share that with our listener. So as you think about like what's what's draining, what's exhausting, okay, here are the three options. Option number uh number one, a junior high lock-in. Okay, but you are specifically like a volunteer leader. Like you're not having oh, fun. I'm not the junior, as a junior high, high kid. student. Okay. No, 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 no. You you are you are the volunteer leader who has to like keep some level of safety and all of that. So that's option number one. Option number two, a trip to somewhere, probably most likely remote in Southeast Asia, that takes a minimum of three flights or more. That's option number two. And option number three, going back to our college days, pulling an all-nighter to study for exams. And I'll use the word study in quotes. All right. Um, I already know which one I'm going to... Well, what was the question? (laughs) Which is the worst one? Or which, like, if we have to choose which one we want to do, which one are we choosing? I mean, initially, I kind of went more negative. Like, which one's the most exhausting? And, and I'm kind of fishing here, like if there's a story, like if you're like, oh my gosh, I would never do the junior high lock-in, and here's why. <laughs> well, I have that story, if that's the one you're looking for. <laughs> um, so junior high lock-in for me, uh, I actually I actually outlawed, as a youth pastor, I outlawed lock-ins. <laughs> I said no more lock-ins. And so it was this, this was several years into my youth ministry career, but lock-ins are brutal for the, for the adults. I think they're great for the kids. Like, well, actually, I don't even think they're great for them. They, they <laughs> think they're great. Um, but, but ad- adults don't like them. The volunteers don't like them. The youth pastor doesn't like them and the parents do not like them. Um, and the, the worst one that I remember was um, it was probably four or five churches together decided to do a big giant lock-in and this one church had um 
had like a big gymnasium and a big sanctuary. And so they could, they could manage, you know, that many uh, teenagers. Well, they could hold, hold that many teenagers. There was, there was no managing <laughs> that many teenagers. And, um, and for some reason it was, it was winter. I, I think it was like January. And for some reason we weren't allowed to have the heat on in the building. So I don't know if it was too expensive or they didn't know how the thermostats worked or what it was, but there was no heat in the building, huge building and no heat. It's freezing cold outside. And there was a basketball tournament. So, so that was part of the lock-in. And so I was playing basketball for, I don't know, like two hours and all sweaty. And, um, and then, you know, there's still six hours left of the lock-in after that. And I'm just freezing like i had i didn't have a change of clothes I'm, I'm my shirt my shirt stuck to me and then all of a sudden it's like it feels like it's frozen and connected to my body it was just it was brutal and everyone was miserable every even like the kids you know that whatever they they're just eating too much food and and uh, watching dumb movies but no one was warm so people were like huddling together and then we had to kind of like Okay, so girls can huddle with girls and guys can huddle with guys. <laughs> but we had people like, like, where's my girlfriend? I'm freezing over here. <laughs> so uh, that was it. That was the last straw for me. And I, uh, I, told our, I told our youth ministry team, I was like, that's the last lock-in we will ever do as long as I'm the youth pastor here. And, uh, and then I hired a junior high youth pastor and he loved lock-in for some reason. And so I said, okay, if you want to do junior high ones, that's fine, but I'm not, I'm not going to come. I won't be there. <laughs> so, I think they still did some lock-ins, but the high school students were always like, how come we never get to do lock-ins? And I said, cause they're miserable <laughs> and they make me miserable and they make your parents miserable. And actually you don't sleep well for the next two nights. It's just a, it's just a bad deal. So I would way rather do a 24, even 36 hour trip across the world on multiple flights with delays, um, than do a junior high lock in ever again. Oh, and the smell, I forgot to mention the smell. <laughs> you make a compelling case. I was going to say, I wish you could articulate a little bit more strong, you know, how you really <laughs> felt about the, the junior high lock in option. So I, I don't remember all the details. There were other things that made that one horrible. I just can't remember them all right now. I just I just know that I was cold and I was miserable. And uh, I put my foot down. How about for you, Emily? Yeah. What, 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 when you look at that list, what are you just like, oh, good Lord? Well, I've, I've only experienced lock-ins as a junior high student. Um, so thinking about them as an adult, I think that's probably the worst option on the list for sure. Yep. Um, and then considering we recently did a trip to Asia that was pretty exhausting, not quite as exhausting as what I imagine volunteering at a lock-in is, but just the thought of like getting on a plane right now for like 11 hours, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like one of the sections of travel, right. yeah. the 11 hour flight. Yeah. One of like four. I. Yeah, I, I can't bring myself to consider it. So I definitely think an all-nighter for exams is the best. I only pulled one all-nighter my whole time in college, and it was not to study. It was just to hang out with my friends. So it was great. I had a great time. 
and <laughs> made some good memories. So like in my mind, I'm like, oh, great, perfect, fun. I love to do that. That's way better. I'm not going to sleep anyway in either of the other options. So I might as well be with my friends. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I definitely think the junior high lock-in takes the cake as like the most horrible, exhausting experience of the three, maybe just in life. <laughs> um, I will say my experience with all-nighter in college though, it, it's a close second. It's definitely worse than the trip to somewhere in Southeast Asia because of not just the physical exhaustion, but what ended up being a lot of emotional strain and social embarrassment as well. Can you speak more yeah, on the well, social yeah, embarrassment? Okay, okay, story. Yeah, we're getting there. I'm like, don't worry. I knew you'd like I'm this excited. part. But yeah, yeah. Um, I was a freshman. It was my first round of finals at, at college. And for some reason, at that time, I was a history major. And for some reason, I thought it'd be good to, uh, as a freshman, do like a, a junior level class, like a 301, about the history of the ancient uh, ancient China. Ancient Chinese history was the class. And so I'm like the only freshman in this class. And for, for the night before the final, um, me and some friends who are juniors who live off campus, like 20 minutes from the campus, they're like, come over to our house and we'll just pull an all nighter and we can, you know, we'll, we'll stay awake. We'll make sure we're back at the exam in time. It was like a 7:30 AM exam. And so I go to their house, we almost pull an all nighter, but actually I fell asleep at like probably five in the morning. Oh, so close. On accident. And so did they, we all fell asleep on accident. And so I wake up at like seven Oh two to my friends shaking me in a panic. And they're like, come on, we got to go take this exam. We all fell asleep. And so it was one of those like jump out of bed, you know, throw on some clothes, throw on a hat, jump in the car. This was downtown Minneapolis. We're like careening through the streets going way too fast. And we get to the exam at like 7.33. So all the students are sitting there. We come barreling into the room, this like old grumpy history teacher sitting there. And uh, he lets us enter the room to take the exam, which I think technically he didn't have to. And I sit down and he gives me the paper exam. And I look into my backpack and I have no pencil. <laughs> And so <laughs> I have to go up to my teacher. I'm like, uh, do you have an extra pencil? He's like, nope. So then I had to turn around to the whole class and be like, hey, anybody have a number two pencil that I can use for this exam that I'm late for? <laughs> and it was just incredibly embarrassing. So that just, yeah, maybe there's more emotional trauma there than mm -hmm. actual exhaustion, but that's my association. So... <laughs> Well, I hope you guys have fun on your trip to Asia while I'm pulling an all-nighter with my cool friends. <laughs> when does stress become something more serious? In January of 2021, a Barna study found that 29% of pastors had seriously considered quitting ministry. By October, it was 38%. And as of March 2022, the number was at 42%, with higher percentages among women and younger people working in ministry. 
Most of those pastors cited the immense stress of the job and feeling lonely and isolated as the reasons they considered quitting. And though this study was done specifically on pastors, people involved in ministry at any capacity often feel a similar strain. Whether you're a local church leader, work at a faith-based nonprofit, volunteer your time, or are involved in international missions. Burnout is the emotional and physical exhaustion that comes from prolonged mental, physical, or emotional stress. While everyone goes through seasons of stress, the relational aspect of ministry heightens its difficulty. And when you are also shouldering the burdens of a community, or dealing with culture shock, or caring for desperately needy people on top of your own personal life, tiredness can lead to exhaustion pretty quickly. So in this episode, we're talking again to James Grout from One Child, and we're asking questions like, how can we recognize signs of burnout and know when it becomes more serious than average stress? What are things specific to ministry and missions that can cause burnout? What happens when something we feel we're called to seems impossible and overwhelming? And when is it okay to walk away from ministry? So as we get into this topic, you guys both have worked as missions leaders in different organizations and as pastors in local church ministry. Um, Could you guys, maybe James, you can go first, just giving like a quick background of your experience in those worlds. For sure. Uh, So I was 18 years old when I had a pretty specific calling from God. Um, The calling was teach the Bible to teenagers. And uh, I didn't know how to do that and get paid. So my youth (laughs) pastor said, that's what I do, James. And I was like, really? Like you get paid? That's great. (laughs) Um, And so, so that's, so I went into, I went to college and got a Bible and theology degree. So I would know how to read and teach the Bible. Um, And then I became a youth pastor at a church in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. And I was there for 20 years in the role of student ministries pastor. I was also kind of the part-time teaching pastor towards the end, but I was still full-time youth ministry as well. Um, And then I went from there to our denominational national office to be the national youth director. Uh, So I did two years in that role. And then uh, following that, I moved into the role that I'm currently in uh, with the nonprofit called One Child. And we're a global child development organization. So uh, I still work a lot with local churches, but I'm working um, kind of on behalf of churches around the world in developing countries and the children who are part of those communities. So, so that's sort of just a high level view of my career. What about you, Ben? Um, a lot of similarity, actually, and maybe another thing I would add that's true about both James and I that may also uh, impact or shape some of this conversation is we're we're also both pastors' kids. So both of our dads, uh, James, um, in that denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance, up in Canada for a while, actually, and then other parts of the of the U.S. And my family, uh, non-denominational churches on the East Coast, uh, we both grew up as pastors' kids. So. I'll speak for me personally. I, I suspect this is true for James too, but um, I I bet that gives us some unique perspective and even just experiential uh, insight to watching our parents go through ministry and you know have to uh, 
navigate burnout. So maybe we'll come back to that, but I would add that um, to my story as well. Grew up as a pastor's kid. And then uh, similar to James, started off in local church ministry, also youth ministry at first. Uh, and that's actually the context. He and I first met, I was a youth pastor at, at an Alliance church in Wisconsin, not too far up the road from where James was in Illinois. Um, and then at that same church, stepped into a role as the missions pastor. Um, and that involved an increasing amount of travel. And then uh, the denomination asked us to plant a church in Madison, Wisconsin. So we did that for a couple of years. Um, and then around the same time, uh, James took the role as the national youth director out in Colorado. Um, I took uh, a role at the same national office um, overseeing one of the global departments, uh, would be the shortest way of saying it, um, for, for the denomination. And that entailed quite a bit of travel. Um, and so I was in that role for about five years, but I would say that role is really what served as the bridge out of local church ministry into faith-based, globally focused ministry that still is connected to the local church. Um, and that's how I got connected to Uncharted uh, almost eight years ago now. Would you, how would you guys define burnout among like ministry people? I'm just going to lump in missions and ministry together as one word. So I don't have to keep saying it both times, but um, it, I mean, it is something that's more significant than just like being tired or an average like experience of stress, which everybody goes through, um, and works through. So what, um, either in your own experiences or people, you know, and have seen, like, how would you make a distinction between, um, like just a typical stressful season versus burnout? I would, um, I would, I would answer that by, by talking a little bit about the nature of, um, I guess what you would call professional ministry, which is, uh, it's people intensive. There's, there's so much, um, relational energy that is part of being a pastor. Uh, I know there are pastors out there who aren't relational and they think their job is to preach a sermon on Sunday. And, uh, and that's the majority of what they do, but, in the roles, in the role, the way my father played the role and the way that I played the role of pastor, it's, it was very much about, um, about people and there's no, uh, off position on the pastor switch when it comes to the congregation. Like they, you, you're just, you're available. You, even if you're not available, they think you're available or at least that you should be available. And so, um, I think working hard and having a, a season of um, a lot of responsibility can lead to being tired. But I think working with people and managing all that you have to manage, not just as a professional, but as, as more of a shepherd, uh, I think that's where, that's where burnout comes in. I, I said, I, I say there's two, there's kind of two different kinds of tired for me. Um, one is tired from just like, maybe long days and uh, maybe, maybe travel or whatever it is that creates tired. And then there's tired that comes from being with people and I'm an extrovert, but 
when I'm with people, um, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty up, like I'm pretty on, on it and I enjoy it and I love it. But then when I pull away from that, that's when I really feel, um, depleted and it, and it's not because I spent, you know, it's not because I worked too much. It's just because being with people has its own special kind of <laughs> draining qualities. Yeah. I think those are some good distinctions. And, um, in thinking about this question and I looked at it through the lens of what's the difference between tired and burnout. Um, what I'm about to say, there's, there's some holes to this. So it's not, I'll, I'll admit, it's not like a perfect way of, of delineating, but I almost look at like, uh, the sense of tired as, um, being in, in a season, whether that season is a day or a week or a month or whatever, where, where there's like too much of something <clears throat> or some things. So I'm tired because, you know, I've had too many days in a row of, a lot of working hours, or I have too many projects that my boss has last minute sprung on me, or um, you know, too many flights to get to this country, or whatever, and and that causes tiredness, um, and that's real. Like, and that can very much easily lead to burnout. But I think burnout, the subtle difference, in my opinion, is that the burnout is like a deep loss of other things. So like, like for tiredness, it's, there's too much of X, Y, or Z, whereas burnout is there's, there's a deep loss. And some examples of that would be, um, there's a loss of belief and conviction. Um, for me like that, that's core to this idea of burnout is cause like when I'm tired, if I still believe in what I do, if I still have this conviction, uh, you know, in our case of who Jesus is and, and the hope he provides and all that sort of stuff like that, that keeps, that gives me this, this healthy energy to keep going. Um, but when there's a loss of that type of belief, when there's a loss of that type of conviction, um, there's just this sense of like, why, why even do this anymore? Um, there's a loss of effectiveness um, with when it comes to the life-giving sources of renewal. Um, and what I mean by that phrase is when I'm tired, there's certain things that I can do, even simple things that are life-giving, right? So all three of us have these things. Like for me, that's I ride my motorcycle or I go for a hike or um, I sit and smoke my pipe and read a J.R.R. Tolkien or whatever. You know, like those are all simple things that actually do provide renewal, even in the season of, of tiredness. Um, but when those things have lost their effectiveness, um, it's like they, they can't stand up to, um, they have no impact against the burnout. Um, and then finally, maybe the last thing I would say in terms of just like, how, how is the, what is the difference between just tiredness and burnout is, and this goes back to the, the belief and the conviction, but the loss of joy, um, and, that can equate to, you know, happiness, but, but even deeper than that, like just this, um, yeah, this loss of joy and in, in uh, again, in our context, like in who Jesus is, the life he's called us to, um, living intentionally living with hope. Um, you know, when, when things just feel really dark <laughs> and like, okay, there's no light at the end of the tunnel type thing. So, 
um, maybe there's there's more that could be extrapolated in that, but that's kind of how I see some of the difference is like tiredness comes from, I just have too much right now and I need to shed some of those things or I just need some things that help bring renewal. Whereas burnout is like this deep loss of uh, some of the things that I just articulated. Yeah, I think I have two different kinds of responses to tired. And it, part of it is like, I just need to rest. And part of it is like, I just need to quit. <laughs> so James, you talk, you mentioned it a little bit um, about how ministry is often very people heavy. Um, and that is one like ministry specific thing that can lead to burnout. Um, and especially in the jobs we all have is, is heavy connection to people and also people in developing places, um, or people with significant needs. Um, for you, is that something that can lead to kind of this or this sort of exhaustion or is that something, um, that is in a different category for you? Well, I think, uh, I would say one of the things that is, um, true of, me and i think it's probably true of a lot of people who are in sort of the fields that we're in is there is a part of you that has to detach a little little bit uh at moments because we see really bad things like we see we see really hard places and difficult circumstances and people who are um like way more that they they suffer way more than 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 most people suffer mm-hmm. and they suffer in a lot of different ways, like broken families, broken societies, um, you, you know, physical hunger, a, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, a, an oppressive religious, um, community or whatever it is. And so we see a lot of that. And there was a time when it always bothered. I mean, not, it still bothers me. It always affected me. Hmm. Like when I would see things, I, I I would go home and just be like, Oh, like what, what can possibly be done? <laughs> I can remember driving through, um, like just driving across country in, um, I think it was, it was probably my first time in central Eastern Europe. So I think it was the Czech Republic or maybe Poland. We were driving across and I just remember seeing all the, like the massive apartment complexes, just row after row after row and thinking about the people who live in those and how many people there are and how few at that time, especially back in the early nineties, how few healthy churches and um, evangelistic Christians Mm. are in this community. And I just felt overwhelmed. Like I, I remember thinking like, it's too big. There's too, it's too much. Like what can, what can anyone do? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe more specifically, what can I do? Like, what can I do to have an impact when the need is so great? And, um, and, and I had to come to terms with that at some point to be able to do what I do, which is walk into slums all the time and, and see things that are just totally not okay and not go home and be wrecked by it every you know, go back to the hotel and just be wrecked by what you've seen that day. So I don't, I don't know what that's called. Uh, I've heard people talk about it, that there's, there's a little bit of, there's a part of your brain that can just disassociate. And so you can just continue on on doing what you're doing because 
uh, it, you can't manage that much kind of grief. Um, so, so I, to answer your question, which I can barely remember because I've been talking <laughs> for so long, but <laughs> to answer your question, I don't think the job that I'm in, um, is current, like it doesn't lead to burnout the way that pastoral ministry did for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, partly because the job that I'm in, you can see the results, like seeing the results is really significant for staying focused, staying on, you know, staying in the game and pastors. Oh man, it's, it's a struggle. Cause, cause again, working with people, like sometimes you don't see the results as a youth pastor, you know, I, I have no idea for some of the students that were in my ministry. I have no idea what the impact was for them over the, those 20 years that I was youth pastor. Some have come back to me and told me what the impact was on them. Uh, most of it positive. Um, <laughs> occasionally someone was like, you know, you could have been better at this. Um, but, but yeah, like the, the work of a pastor in some ways is just never done. It, like there's, it, there's no completion, there's no end. And that you can look at it and go, we did that. Like we accomplished this thing. And um, I think that probably learn leads to people feeling like, am I even effective? Should I even be doing what I'm doing if I can't see the results? Mm. And the results, some, sometimes the results won't be seen until eternity. Um, so, and I think I'm sort of a results kind of guy. So it is nice to see like when something happens to feel like, okay, that's good. We, we made a, we made a dent there. We, 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 uh, changed the life of a child there. We changed the life of, uh, changed the atmosphere of a community or whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. um, I think, I think I answered your question. Maybe. No, that's good. I, I like how you delineated too, between, um, you know, especially in the type of work that we're all involved in, we get exposed to some external uh, elements that are are quite traumatic. They can be quite traumatic, uh, and you and you really do have to find healthy ways to compartmentalize. Otherwise, um, you know the the effect on on the emotions and on our heart and um, <laughs> energy and health and all of that can be pretty significant. Um, so I agree. I think there's definitely uh, you know external things that when you think about um, burnout in ministry. Um, I also think there's some internal things that contribute to burnout. I'll, I'll say in ministry, but I actually think this is true uh, probably for people in general, but especially uh, for, for Christians, for followers of Jesus. I don't know if it's more pronounced in our Western culture or less than other cultures, but there, there's two words that come to mind that I think, um, contribute to burnout. Again, I would say this is true for any follower of Jesus. So for any, you know, any listener, this is not just something that's true only for those in vocational ministry. I do think there is uh, a heightened sense of this though, when you are in vocational ministry. Um, and the first of that is just the savior mentality. Like we get this savior mentality of, and this kind of goes to a, a little bit of what you were saying, James, like you see the needs, right? Whether that's a, um, you know, a refugee camp or a slum all the way to like, oh, this person in my small group is going through a marriage crisis and 
um, you know, he or she are calling me at one in the morning and I, I got to respond. I got to be there for him or her. Um, and, and there's a sense of that. There's a level of that. That's good. And right. You know, like scripture calls us to care, to, to carry each other's burdens and to be there for each other. Um, but there is an underbelly to every good intended thing. And this savior mentality is one of those. And I think in ministry, especially as pastors, I'll speak for myself and say, I, I definitely fell into that trap um, and still see fragments of that. You know, it's like this savior mentality of, I, I, I gotta, I gotta be there for this person, especially as a youth pastor. Like I gotta, I gotta show up at the, every football game and basketball game. And I gotta be at the see with the pool thing. And I gotta have coffee with all that person. And you're just like, go, 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 go. And there was a moment where I turned around and there was my family standing behind me, like, hello, what about us? And it's like, well, but these people need me, you know? So, um, which all of that like comes from ego and identity issues and all that sort of stuff, which is a whole nother element. So I think there's the savior mentality that can lead people to burnout and then, uh, step in step with that. And I think this is, this is true, not just for those in vocational ministry, but, um, just people in general, uh, my, my wife likes to say to me, Ben, you're shooting all over yourself again. And, um, thank you for that, Kathy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and just that idea of like, well, I should do this or I should do that, or this is, um, what's expected of me. Or if I was a really good pastor, if I was a really good leader, if I was a really good fill in the blank, I would do this. And, and like sometimes sure. Um, you know, maybe the spirit genuinely is prompting you to do something, but I do think there's a lot of times where we are shitting all over ourselves um, and we're we're out of guilt, maybe shame, again, maybe some insecurities or identity issues. We're stepping into things uh, out of those motives um, and, and, and we keep driving ourselves because of those things, which again can contribute to, to burnout. Um, so I'd say especially in the context of vocational ministry, that savior mentality and that sense of I should do this leads to burnout. Um, but I think that's true of any person as well, especially those, uh, you know, followers of Jesus. You kind of mentioned this, um, a little bit already, but just the idea of conflating, um, our identity with our vocation, I think is tempting for a lot of people, especially tempting for people in ministry um, or people who feel like they have a calling to do X, Y, or Z. Um, because then I think it's really easy that when things feel hard or are actually impossible, then you think like, well, if this, if it's this hard for me, maybe this isn't actually my calling. And then if this isn't my calling, then like, who am I as a person and what am I supposed to be doing? Um, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Ben, of like a sense of loss, um, with burnout as opposed to just stress or tiredness. It's like, um, losing, um, what you may have considered foundational for your whole life. Um, especially if you're working in ministry, then it's your social sphere and your family and everything, um, that it kind of feels like, yeah, you can't stop because this is, it isn't just what you do. This is who you are. That, uh, that very much described my first several years of youth ministry. 
I really, I believed that being a youth pastor was the most important thing about me. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very, it, it was, you know, because I had a calling from God. It was a very specific one. Um, and, and you were using the word should, um, the, another version of that word is the word need. Like I need to do this. This, this person needs my help. That Mm -hmm. person needs me. Um, this needs to be my priority or whatever it is. Uh, I felt that all the time and it, and you can allow other people to put that on you too. It's not just, it's not just internal. You can, Mm -hmm. other people can do that to you. And, um, uh, and it took me a long time to figure out that my, that my identity was not youth pastor. Hmm. I, uh, it, and it was an encounter with Jesus that, that did that to me. You know, it was like, like Jesus was, Jesus was very clearly saying to me, you know, you're my child. You're like, you're, you know, you're, you're a child of God. Um, and that's your identity. That's your primary hmm. identity is that you are a child of God. And when that, when that happened, that helped me with this idea that if I'm not a youth pastor, what am I? I actually went through that very specific crisis when, when I finished my time at the national youth office for the Alliance, I didn't know what, I didn't know who I was or what I, what what am I supposed to do? Mm. This is like just, you know, eight years ago. So it's not (laughs) like it was when I was a kid, (laughs) Um, but I just didn't know. Like what, what, if I'm not in youth ministry, then, then what do I even do with my life? Like what, what's a, how do I kind of honor what I believe God's called me to, but also, you know, actually have a job. Like that was pretty important. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So I think the identity thing is, uh, is really big for pastors, um, and ministry leaders, ministry people. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll add to that just a real, just real quick. I have, I have people that I know who are in global missions, they're missionaries overseas. And because they were called to missions at age 13 at a conference or something like that, missionary is their identity. And I can hear it when they talk, like I can hear when they, when they're talking about what they do and why they do it. It's, it's, they think that's who they are first and foremost. And, and I'm not, and I'm not judging them. I'm saying I recognize that because uh, I was that like, that's, that's, that was what what I was doing as well. Yeah. I think um, I appreciate James, what the example that you referenced about the time, not too long ago, leaving the national office, you know, how there was still an element of the identity um, challenge or question. And, and I, I think I, uh, the reason I say I appreciate that is because I, I almost wonder like if the identity, if this aspect of identity is almost like that onion effect where I feel like in some ways in the past, there's parts of this that I've quote unquote dealt with and can identify and, um, you know, keep an eye out as like, okay, yep, I know that that's, I know what's true, what's not true. But then I, I think, I think that on this side of eternity, like there's a way in which that's always a struggle. And there's a way in which that there's like new expressions of the way that that, uh, shows up 
Um, and, and I think for me personally, like one of, one of them in more recent years is just how much I tie my identity to the success or failure of the ministry or the organization that I'm, that I'm leading or that I'm a part of. And, and so it's almost like for me, um, though there have been ways that I've resolved and come to terms and believe that my identity is found in Jesus and my value is found, you know, and, and derives from the father. Like, I believe that I know that. Um, but there's still ways in which there's still like these layers that keep popping up of like, Oh, um, but it hasn't affected that part of it yet. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's an on, I'll say for me, uh, and maybe for others as well, the issue of identity is le- is less one and done in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like different phases and layers of of refinement um, that that the Lord is walking me through when it comes to my source of identity, my source of value, um, my source of what makes me successful. Um, how am I measuring that? Um, so that's a to me that's been so far at least a a lifelong journey for sure in ministry. I think, I think um, the onion effect is one way to say it, but also cake has layers, <laughs> but you can say cake. <laughs> That's a much better analogy. I like that one better. <laughs> Speaking of cake, let's talk about dealing with burnout because that's how I would deal with my burnout. That was a great segue. I was really now all I can think about Now all I can think about is a cake. I really want a cake right now. Well, I'm more interested in knowing, is it is it baking a cake that's how you deal with burnout or eating a cake is how you deal with burnout? Eat, baking a cake makes eating the cake better because you put in the work. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I'm all for both. Um <laughs> But maybe instead of dealing with burnout, we can talk about how to prevent it because that would probably be a little more helpful. Um, so, so do you have any tips, any hot tips for people on what they can do? Um, maybe just as somebody who is in ministry, if there are like red flags that um, pop up where you're like, okay, if, if this is if I'm feeling like this now, I need to, you know, address it, um, or just, or just life lessons, just wisdom that you guys want to, want to share in terms of preventing burnout. I can think of a couple of different things. One is, um, if you, if you know very clearly what your priorities are, then it makes it easier to say no to things because that's something that people in ministry really struggle with saying no to things, good things, uh, and sometimes stupid things and things that you know are going to drain you and you know are not going to help you, but you say yes anyway, because you're in ministry and, um, like leading a junior high lock-in maybe. Exactly. Like why would anybody in their right mind do that? (laughs) Um, and my priorities there when we, but at the end to the junior high lockout was, was my mental health, <laughs> um, my relationship with my leaders, my, my relationship with parents. You know, there were a lot of things that uh, took priority for, uh, that were priorities that made me make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think priorities is one. And so, um, and because 
I'm a pastor, I'll use another P word here. So priorities and pace. I think, I think being aware of what, um, what pace is too fast for you. Like if you can, and this is where, this is where you need someone else's eyes, right? You need Mm -hmm. someone else's voice. Someone who's watching you going, you're, you're running at a pace that is not sustainable. Um, Ben and I ran one time in the South of Spain along the beach. And and when we started running, I was keeping up, but (laughs) we were, we were in that. And I was living, you know, I was living in Colorado at that time. So running at sea level, I felt like I was Superman. Um, but as it turns out, I'm not. And, um, and Ben was just gone. Like he was just gone. And I was like, well, I can just kill myself trying to keep up or I can just start running at a pace that works for me, which was walking. So, <laughs> um, I, I think sometimes uh, getting back to the, getting rid of that analogy now and getting back to the point, I think if someone else is allowed to say to you, um, this is you're you're, you're taking on too much. You're moving at a pace that is not healthy. And, um, and you're, and you're skipping over things. Like when you're going too fast, you're missing important things or you're ignoring something that's like Ben said, you know, he's standing there with his family behind him going, what about us? Like that's, that's a sign that, that your, your pace isn't a good one. If you can run right past when you're, you know, some of your highest priorities. So priorities and paces is what I would talk about mostly in dealing with or avoiding or dealing with mm-hmm. burnout. Yeah, that's good. I, I think probably, um, what I would say is, is very similar, but maybe just package it, um, with a little bit different terminology, but the heart of it is the same when it comes to preventing burnout. Um, and at the time, so I, I too have a very distinct moment. I think James, you referenced a pretty distinct moment where you learned some of these things, um, it was also, uh, I think I was probably the missions pastor at this point and, you know, was traveling internationally, had two very little kids at home and, um, just a lot, you know, a lot going on in life and very much living in that savior mentality and, um, just a very distinct moment where I had to learn the hard way, this, the lesson of, um, how to disappoint others well. And, um, I thought it was a very unique and profound thought at the time, um, but it turns out there's there's a lot of healthy leaders and just people who in general are healthy people who have written whole books on this. Um, and in fact, there's, I, I don't know these people, but uh, there's a couple of authors, uh, one in particular, his name is Ronald Heifetz and his quote. So uh, there's a lot of definitions about leadership out there, right? That are like super inspiring and cast a vision and lead people there. Well, his definition of leadership is this. He says, leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate that they can absorb. And, and to me, like that was a super important lesson to learn to help avoid burnout is uh, to learn the skill of disappointing people um, at a rate that they can absorb. And in a way I would add in a way that is, you know, honorable, <laughs> um, but but it's accepting that truth that I'm going to disappoint people in order for me to avoid burnout, in order for me to keep the right pace, like you were describing, James, um, in order for me to stay focused on the right people and on the right things. 
uh, it's going to come at a cost of, of disappointing others. Um, what you were talking about, James, of knowing what to say no to. Um, so there's, there's actually an article that I, uh, we can list in the, the episode notes, um, by an author named Todd Bolsinger. Uh, he wrote one of my favorite books on leadership called canoeing the mountains. And he has a lot in there just about this idea of, uh, what it looks like in healthy ways to disappoint people at a rate that they can absorb. So I think that's been something that, um, uh, has helped me. I think I can say with integrity, I, I haven't experienced burnout. Um, I've certainly experienced seasons of stress and tiredness. Um, but I think it was this lesson that I had to learn in a pretty profound way back in my twenties that has helped prevent me from experiencing burnout. I'll, I'll add to that, that I also, uh, wouldn't I can't look back at a time where I would say, yeah, I went through burnout. Um, but part of that is, um, but I, I should say, but I've watched people burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've witnessed it. I've been, uh, been a part of, you know, teams where burnout was happening, but, um, but part of that is, is the pace thing that I talked about is I just think, um, maybe it's, maybe it's just, uh, kind of an, a naive way to think about it, but, but I know, I know what pace works for me mm-hmm. and every place that I've been, I've made sure that others know what pace works for me <laughs> because <laughs> I've worked with some workaholics and we're, and workaholics don't, they don't, when they watch me work, they're like, he's not doing anything. Like what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the truth is I'm, I'm doing a lot. It's just that I'm doing it at a pace that doesn't feel like, um, doesn't look like it's look like it's work. Um, and I think, um, I wish more people that's kind of just naturally who I am, but I wish there was a way to help people. Um, and there probably is a way help people just figure out, like, I need to, I need to understand my own, uh, pace and I need to understand my own capabilities. And then I need to walk in that and not be ashamed of it and not feel guilty about it, but to just be that, you know, a faithful person with the responsibilities that you've been given. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I quit almost every committee that I was a part of at one point when I was at the church. And it was because I was, I said, like, I can't, I can't do a committee meeting every night of the week. I just Mm -hmm. can't do it. And no one should, (laughs) Um, people were, but no one, no one should do that. So I just stepped off of those committee meetings and because I knew that was, that was a pace that was not healthy for me, uh, and, and for my priorities, my family and others. Yeah, that's good. It's good. It's a good word and a good encouragement for others. Practical example. Speaking of practical examples of how to help deal with ministry stress. I'm just on a roll today with all these, man, we're just lobbing you all these transitions, right? Um, If you say cake again, that's not, that's the same transition. (laughs) Just thinking about cake a lot now. (laughs) Um, actually I was going to start talking about outpost and the gatherings that we are doing this year. So if you listener have never heard of outpost outpost is a gathering for missions leaders that, Uncharted and One Child uh, host in collaboration with each other. Um, they 
actually, why don't one of you guys uh, explain it? I don't know why I'm talking about it. You're the, you're the guys that do it. Go ahead, Ben. You were doing a great job, Emily. I mean, I did roll with that were. description. I did write yeah. the description for the website, but <laughs> uh, no, you're right on. Yeah, so they they are exactly that. It's a it's meant to be a a smaller relationally focused gathering. Uh, in this case, for uh, pastors or or volunteers who oversee uh, global outreach, local outreach uh, for their church body, their local church body, and. Um, Outposts, I would say, started with a heavy emphasis on creating a space for networking, for brainstorming, for the sharing of best practices, um, literally just being in a room where you're surrounded by peers who share some of the same unique responsibilities and challenges that you do. Um, but and, and that is still very much true. I will say, though, that over the last year and a half, especially, I, there has been an intentional turning up of the dial on, on what we would call it uncharted soul care, um, which speaks more directly to this burnout element. And, um, I think I can speak for both James and I by saying that in the context of these outposts that are highly relational, there's yes, there's structured time, um, but really there's a lot of time where you're just sitting around a table or sitting outside around a fire and getting to know people. Like we hear a lot of stories of exhaustion. We hear a lot of stories of, is this worth it? Am I even turning the dial? How do I, you know, um, get people to care about what God's doing in our city and in our world? Um, and so there's been an increased focus on soul care, both informally, just sitting around the fire, you know, creating those types of spaces and formally as well, um, creating some intentional moments where people can can just really step into a time with the Lord and and allow Him to to speak uh, into the things that they're feeling. Um, so I'm rambling now, but uh, but that's a, a bit of a picture of both what started outpost and some of the ways that it's been developing. And uh, James, feel free to add your your perspective to that as well. Part of the motivation for starting something specifically for missions, pastors, missions, leaders, is that there isn't a lot for them in this area. Um, there isn't a lot of um, kind of big networking opportunities, but there also isn't a lot of the retreat sort of soul care, uh, get away, relax, refocus, get, you know, get a new vision to, to make you run for the next uh, year or so there just aren't a lot of those opportunities. And so, um, so we, we actually have a rule. We, I, I don't know if we've ever stated this as a rule. It's a rule in my head that I'm now <laughs> going to say out loud. Um, and the rule is no senior pastors allowed. Like yeah. this is, this is not a place for senior pastors to show up. Um, because there are places there are, there are actually quite a few places where senior pastors can find this kind of um, gathering and, and this kind of care if that's what they're looking for uh, and this kind of networking, all of that. But um, but the part of the reason for no senior pastors in my mind is I, I think missions pastors need a place where they can just be blunt and honest about their role and how they feel about their role in the larger scope of their local church. And, um, 
And I think it's just really healthy. Uh, it, well, I don't think it is. I know it's really healthy. We've watched it. We've seen mm-hmm. how it's impacted. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking, I'm thinking of one person who came to a outpost gathering and um, she's a volunteer at her church and she left so fired up about not just like what she was going to do, practical things she was going to do when she got back, but fired up about the reason she was doing it. Like, why do we even do this missions thing? Why are we, why are we trying to engage our people globally? And uh, she was just so excited to get back and, and go at it. And uh, her pastor contacted me later, her lead pastor contacted me later and just thanked me. He said, you know, she came back um, kind of like a, a different person when it comes to her role as a, as a missions leader in our church. So there's, there's a big part of the value in my mind is that, um, is that you, you will go away with feeling re-energized, but also you'll go away with, uh, a, a deeper understanding of why we do what we do. And I would add that they are very fun to attend and you'll have a good time. So. hey they, they are that's, fun. That's a, that's actually a priority. We we list that. If yeah. if we think there's going to be a person there who's not fun, we will not. You're not. Them. Yeah, you're not allowed to come if you're not fun. Actually, <laughs> you'll be kicked <laughs> off the island. If you're a missions pastor, leader, volunteer, or just a fan of bringing international missions to your local church, you should look into Outpost. This year, gatherings are happening in Breckenridge, Colorado, Alice Beach, Florida, and Charleston, South Carolina. Registration for all the Outpost gatherings is open on March 1st, which, if you are listening to this episode right when it comes out, is basically tomorrow. Registration is only $200, which covers your accommodations, meals, and activities at these places. All you have to do is get yourself there, and airport pickup is available. You can sign up or learn more at outpostnetwork.org.